is over us from the time that we're born until the time that we die and beyond. And we shouldn't forget that, that that is just as important as having that awesome experience. Uh, perhaps in some ways better, some ways worse. I'm looking at the clock, and uh, God is good. <laughs> it's still quarter to 11, so nobody will know how much time I really have, and it really doesn't matter. But, you know, if it gets so long that your stomach is growling, uh, maybe it's time to just get up and go home. Uh, I, d- I doubt it will be that long. I'm going to uh, examine or think about words from Psalm 139 this morning, and it's a long, longer psalm, and we're going to read it in three parts, so you may want to just grab the Bible in front of you and read along. As, as you know, January is uh, kind of referred to as Sanctity of Life Month. Um, just last week, not this past week, but the week before, uh, was the 49th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision, uh, perhaps the 49th March for Life, uh, trying to keep in mind, keep in the mind of our country the reality of what happened that day. Um, one of the area radio stations has um, Michigan's biggest baby shower in along the same lines, trying to to promote this awareness that life is sacred. They, every Tuesday and Friday, go to a, an area resource, uh, resource center and just promote the work that they do. It was with that in mind that I started looking at Psalm 139. I thought, well, this is you know the time of year to, to think about that, especially that um, those verses that talk about being... Uh, created and woven together in in the womb. As I thought more about this psalm, it, it takes a, a bigger approach than just that, and that's kind of where I'm going this morning. Um, life is sacred, so what? And we're going to notice a, a, a few things that we can learn from this particular psalm. Uh, life is sacred because all of us, every human being, lives their life in the presence of God. From beginning to end. Life is sacred because God created it. And God creates us. And what does that mean to us, for us uh, in these days? But then there's also that life is sacred because God redeems us. Because he redeems it. We'll look at those three things as we read it through this psalm together. We're going to read, first of all, uh, verses 1 through 12. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, 
If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Just notice some of the phrases in there. You have searched me, you know me. You hem me in behind and before. Wherever I go, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. We know that. We understand what the psalmist is saying. That God is with us all the time. Or perhaps more appropriately, we are in God's presence no matter what. There is nowhere that we can run to hide from him that he doesn't know where we are. There's nothing that we can do that he doesn't know what we did. And as we walk through our lives, we, we find that there are times when he really does, as we look back, hem us in or hold us fast. Life is sacred because we live our lives in the presence of God, but so what? Well, I'd like to introduce you to a couple of people in Scripture who learned about what that so what meant. The first one is from Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis 4, we hear about the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's children. They offered a sacrifice. Cain felt that Abel's sacrifice was, was accepted. His wasn't, so he got in his anger and his, uh, he killed his brother. And God comes to him and, t- and says, what have you done? And Cain uh, tries to brush it off and he finds out, God tells him, no, you're going to be a wanderer for the rest of your life. So Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. So the Lord puts a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord and lives in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain murders his brother because he got something that Cain didn't. His punishment is to live as a wanderer somewhere else, outside of of God's grace, so to speak. And yet God says to him, I will protect you. Another one, from Genesis also, from Genesis uh, 12, is Hagar. Hagar is uh, Sarah's maidservant. She's also the the innocent victim, or the victim of a uh, difficult situation. Sarah and Abram couldn't have any children, so they decided, well, God promised us a child, so we're going to help, help him along, and I'm going to give you 
Hagar as my, as my handmaiden, and then she conceives, and then Sarah becomes very abusive. So Hagar runs away, thinking that that would be the best solution. She finds herself out in the middle of the desert. She's under a bush, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what to do. And guess what? God shows up. The angel of the Lord finds her and says, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. She goes on to explain that this child will have a significant impact in the story of God's world. And it comes upon Hagar. The Lord sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. Hagar has had a terrible experience, and yet she realizes her life means something because God is watching over it. Her life means something because God has a plan for her and the child that is growing within her. The third person is someone we know very well, is David. We read about how he uh, came to be anointed to king. Samuel, God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to hold a feast and all of Jesse, uh, Jesse's sons are supposed to be there. David being the youngest one is kind of the forgotten one. Not that important that he show up. Somebody's got to take care of the dirty work so he gets to stay home. You know the story of how the, that evening went. Samuel's looking at all of these older brothers and they're all very very quality people who would make a great king, but God says, no, they're not, because I'm looking at the heart. David comes, and he gets anointed. And we know the story from there. God knew who he wanted, and he chose a forgotten person to be king of Israel. Life is sacred because we live our lives in the presence of God, and God has a purpose for our lives. God hems us in. He takes, his, takes, us, takes hold of us. He even promises that our lives will be as long as he intends them to be. Life is sacred, too, because God created us. Verses 13 through 18. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! 
Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. It's an amazing concept. These are amazing words to confess, to think about, to understand. Think about how amazing it is, the miracle of life itself. I remember a Louis Giglio presentation. He was talking about how the sperm and the egg come together and you have this one little cell and inside that cell is enough information if you would stretch it from one, stretch it out, lay it out, that would take 26 miles to lay it out there. That's all there at the beginning. And then he says, then that cell goes out to do the impo- sets out to do the impossible thing, which is to make whatever that model is supposed to be. Impressive. Amazing. I preached on this passage a few times, and uh, as amazing as that, as that is, it's also amazing that God knows. It says all of our days are written before one of them came to be. Think about what that means. You know, you think about Okay, so he's got my life plan, but he had to have the life of my parents' plan so that my life would be the way he needs it to be and so forth and so on. And he had all of that figured out before he began even to create the world. He knows us that well. And I like to say, even though, even though he knows all of that, he built us anyway, right? Because we know we're sinners. We know we screw up. And he knew that was going to happen, and he knew what the world was going to be like. He made us anyway. What do we do with that? My wife gave me an article that she had received from a friend that was talking about um, abortion. Reminded us that even if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it doesn't mean abortion goes away. This person actually argued that what it does do is it opens up the conversation again. And what an opportunity we have then to try to reshape the conversation. The writer of the article kind of said that the church is lost and has to be ready to take that opportunity. And I'm thinking that just what I've said earlier, that the way to do that is to once again restore the wonder of life as part of the conversation. Too often people, you know, the world says, you know, you know how it works. A lot of times kids these days go and hop into bed and then figure out whether they're going to have a relationship later. Well, sometimes things happen, but we got that covered too. Don't even think about it. You know, if it's going to be a problem in your life, it's not a big deal. It's God-given life, the wonder of it. And oftentimes the excuse is, well, it's going, to, it, you know, it's going to change my life and I don't want to go in that direction. And uh, my wife told me a, a, of someone that she's been dealing with. 
just uh, you know, quickly highlighting the change that happens. You know, there's this couple, they have a, a, a child, and he has straightened out his life because he re- realizes that this family is really important to him, and that's the most important thing. How often do we not, in our world today, miss that? In our selfishness, we think that we know what we should do, and we miss the opportunity to really grow. Again, it's an opportunity to change the conversation about life. Life is amazing. Life is to be celebrated, not left on the doorstep. Life is sacred because God created it and created each one of us. And as Hagar found out, we each have a place in his story. Life is sacred because God redeems it. Verse 19, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I've read this psalm a hundred times and 99 times I've read it a certain way, especially these verses. In my younger days, I would say something like, I hate what you hate. Search me. Figure out that I'm ready to go with you wherever you want to go. To do what you want to do. I don't know when David wrote this psalm. Perhaps he was in his younger years. Perhaps he had just become king of Israel. And he's reading these words and thinking about what they mean. And he's basically doing just that. I hate what you hate, O oh God. I hate your enemies. I'm ready to go. Let's go do this. Let's establish the kingdom. Let's defeat the enemies that are our adversaries, assuming that they are his adversaries. And I'm just ready to go. But then something happens in David's life, and I think in his later years he looks at this portion of the psalm a little differently. We can read about it in um, 1 Samuel 12 and 13. David is at the height of his power. He's at the height of his influence. Uh, It's the time of the year when the, the kings send their armies out to do battle, and David sends his army out. He stays home. He's up on his rooftop. He sees this woman bathing. He calls for a servant. Do you know who that is? The servant politely tells him, well, that's Bathsheba. That's your, one of your general's wife. I want her. Come. She comes. They have a wonderful night together. Sometime later, she sends word that she's pregnant. Good, holy, pure King David man after God's own heart, 
calls for Uriah to come home to try to fix the situation. Uriah doesn't quite work out, so he has Uriah killed so that he can be the benevolent friend who takes care of his buddy's wife. Nobody has to know what happened. In Psalm 51, we read about David's version of what that period of time was like. His bones wasted away. He was one who was living two lives. Hiding from God, hiding from others, the reality of his situation, hiding from himself. Sometime later, God sends his buddy Nathan to, to, to talk to him. Nathan is David's prophet. Nathan tells him a story about a ewe lamb, and David just belts out, that man should die. And Nathan says, you are that man. Let's see if I can find that a minute here. But then Nathan also says, you will not die. God has taken away your guilt. Oh, you're going to have to suffer the consequences of your actions, but you're not going to be forever stricken from the record of God's book because of this. Perhaps then we read this psalm a little bit differently. I hate what you hate, knowing that there's stuff in us that God hates. Search me and know my heart. Show me what I need to deal with, that I may be led in the way everlasting. I oftentimes in recent years have written or thought about messages in terms of how it relates to what happens at Good Samaritan, at the pantry, the work that I do there. This morning it kind of fits with the other side of our organization, the one that's up on the hill, uh, the family center, moms and tots in his house. There are plenty of people who feel that They've been forsaken. Perhaps they've been in abusive relationships, perhaps had an abusive childhood, absent fathers, absent parents, no idea how to make life work. Each one of them is a life worth saving in God's eyes. Each one of them is part of his story, whether we know what it is or not. And each one of them has a story. Sometimes they come in realizing that they've killed an, an innocent person and have to deal with that. Sometimes they've been in abusive and, and trying to figure out what life is supposed to look like now that I have this little kid or this little family. How do I walk that walk? The whole organization is there to help them to realize 
that their lives are sacred, that the life of their family is sacred. Because God created them, because God is watching over them. He is hemming them and he is protecting them. And on occasion, they even get to share the, the good news that God is redeeming that life in amazing ways because of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is about. That's what we're called to do. Some of us need to realize that there are parts in our lives that we're running from that God wants to redeem in order that we can help somebody else. Some of us need to realize that hating what God hates also means caring about the people who have been hurt by them. Sharing the good news. Life is beautiful. Life is sacred because it belongs to God. And we are here to help you walk that life that God is calling you to. There's a song that... um, has become a favorite of mine. It's called Truth Be Told by Matthew West. My kids will tell you that it's always on whenever they get into my vehicle. My wife is shaking her head. Not quite true, but in that song, there is this line, the sign on the door says, come as you are. I doubt it. Because if that were true, the pews would be crowded. We like to be people who hate what God hates, And we spell that out in a way that makes those who are struggling say, wait a minute, I'm not sure I want to be part of that. But if truly allow people to come as they are, if we're truly willing to walk along with them and let them in on our lives and share our lives, the pews would be crowded. Life is sacred, so what? God has called us to amazing things. He has redeemed us in Christ. And we are his. Amen. Lord, you are the author and giver of life. You created each one of us. You knew who we were to be. You had a place for us. And you've made a place at your table. Through Jesus Christ, you remind us that we are redeemable, we are redeemed. And that is our hope. There's nothing in us that can accomplish that. But you did because of your great love. Lord, help us to live our lives for your glory. Help us to share this hope that we have, this understanding that we have of life in a way that helps others to see that you are calling them to a way of life that is so abundantly beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. Our offerings this morning.